Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what uh, a huge treat for me anyway to be here. Um, thank you very much indeed for coming. I'm really looking forward to the next 45 minutes. Um, if it goes really well, in fact, I might go back to the beginning at the end and do the whole thing again so we can just relive all our favourite moments. Uh, this is Polly. This is Polly Stenham. Her first play was written when she was 19 years old. It opened at the Royal Court to the greatest theatre reviews imaginable. It transferred into the West End and then it was produced in New York. Her second play, Tusk Tusk, premiered at the Royal Court in 2009 and secured her place in British culture as officially not a one-hit wonder. Nice. Her third play, No Quarter, was also a Royal Court show. She describes it as her favourite because it was the least loved, although my daughter thought it was the greatest play ever written. And now her fourth play, Hotel, has opened to fantastic reviews here at the National. Um, I was asked to interview her because I'm exactly twice her age and I'm planning on being her when I grow up, <laughs> which I'm looking forward to. Can I just ask, who here has seen Hotel? And who here hasn't? And who here is going to see it tonight? Okay, so this presents us with something of an interesting problem mm. um, because I saw the play last week. It's so fantastic. You are going to love it. Um, but it's really important you don't know very much about it mm. when you watch it because it's a delight that unfolds in front of you. So we will mention Hotel, if that's okay with Polly, but we won't properly discuss it. Polly. Hi. Hi. Um, when you first set out to write plays, you had something of a mission, didn't you, in terms of being frustrated with the kind of plays that you were going to see and the kind of lives that you were watching on stage or you felt the theatre audiences were watching? I, I'd been going to the theatre, probably to the Royal Court, since I was about 10 or 11 with my dad. And I did, as I got older, I did start to notice that it did start to feel a bit weird watching plays about smack addicts and squats with people wearing pearls. There started to be a moment that I, I, it just, it turned a tiny, tiny bit, not very much, but something made me start to feel a little bit uneasy. That I hadn't really seen, I suppose, plays with the same forensic level of sort of, not criticism, but social criticism aimed at the audience, as it were. So I think that was in my mind when I wrote my first play. So the thing that you were bringing to the stage was a comment and a look at the lives of the sort of people who watch plays rather than quite affluent middle-class audiences going and watching plays about smackheads. I just, I liked the fact that the flat that my first play was set in could have been round the corner. From the Royal Court yeah. in Chelsea? Yeah. Nice. That excited me. Did it, was there a mission to slightly discomfort a yeah. middle class audience? Definitely. Why? To punish um, them? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, Dominic Cook, I, I had this, these thoughts sort of separately, and then Dominic Cook, who came in to run the Royal Court, that was sort of his agenda too. So it was, I was very lucky in my timing with that play and those thoughts. I mean, so much as timing, I get. I realise that more and more, I think. Um, I think it's important. I think it's politically important and socially important. And I think that it was, it was time to have a look at that. And perhaps now less so. It's been done. You know, that was very much the Royal Court's thing for a bit. 
it's just an, it's another small movement within a big industry, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, the first three plays that you wrote, you, and you've described them after the end of the third as a trilogy. Yeah. They were all dealing with similar-ish, not similar-ish, but they, they were, there were themes that ran through them mm -hmm. that you could see. They were an uncomfortable relationship with the mother figure, a yeah. dark, difficult mother figure. Yeah. They were siblings. Yeah, there's siblings in all of them. I, someone pointed that out to me the other day and I didn't even... And, and this play as well. Yeah. I'd love to write about siblings for some reason. Why is that? I think... It's a really interesting relationship, isn't it? I mean, you've been children together, so you have access to kind of your most feral and your most joyful and your... It, the boundaries are completely different with siblings. It's just an interesting relationship. It, at its best, it can be so incredible. At its worst, so difficult. And I suppose if you've known each other that long, yeah, you can show each other all those different sides. It's dramatically useful because it's so rich. Yes, and so honest. Yeah. Before we look at, at your first play, can, mm. we, um, can we talk a little bit about your upbringing? I don't mean in a nosy park way, mm. and I don't mean in a way that you don't feel comfortable with. I just mean there must have been a lot... Of, I know you had an uncomfortable childhood, and there's a lot that's very uncomfortable about childhood and parenting in those first three plays. Were you working something out, or had you worked it out and you wanted to show it? Were you punishing? Were you... Was it revenge? Was there any of that going on? No, no, I think, I mean, I didn't, I had this, you know, I, I had a sort of a po slightly political something was happening in my head a bit with the whole wanting. I remember I wrote on a bit of paper, sort of turned savage on my class. And so there was- there What, was, as a note to self? As a note to myself, yeah. <laughs> so pretentious at that age, isn't it? I was like 19, like, what? Um, <laughs> And so that was sort of going on in my head a bit. But my first play, I didn't give it much thought, really. I just sat down and I kind of wrote it. It didn't it took me about four months to write. And I was, it, I, it wasn't what I was doing all the time. It was, I look back and it was this sort of golden kind of, you know, I didn't know anything was going to happen. I didn't think anyone would ever do it. I never thought it'd see the light of day. And I didn't... So therefore had no self-consciousness and the whole thing was pure instinct. And I just sort of sat down, I remember writing Henry on a bit of paper. It was a very split second decision to do it. I'd sort of, but once I decided to do it, that seed, the political seed was in there as well. But it wasn't, I just sort of had to, I don't know. And the second one I just had to, again, it's not, it's a real urge. Like, I always have to have it going on in my head. I don't feel... I get very, very fidgety if I don't have this sort of world I'm just cooking on my own. Is it an urge to write stuff down or is it an urge to see it performed, to affect an audience? It's making something. I think... I've, I think there's something about making something, the act of making that's sort of the opposite of illness and death and things like that. And I think if I psychoanalyse myself slightly... I'm a Freud, you can do that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, it would maybe be something like that, that you're just... You're, you're creating something brand new and that feeling is just amazing. And I think it's both, you know, well, the very nature, I suppose, of being a playwright is both to write it down and both to see it. I mean, the, the moment that this 
happens, the set happens, is absolutely mind-blowing. It's like my favourite day of the year. You come in and, you know, you've, you've written in italics on your computer one day, like, setting, ooh, a luxury hotel. It's white, minimal, luxurious. There are fans. And then you're like, oh. <laughs> you know? Someone built your mind. It's amazing. I think I'm always chasing that feeling, maybe. I don't know. If we go back to when you were 19, you were turning savage on your class. Oh, you decided to write. You began with the word Henry. You wrote your first play because it was in your head. What was it like to, six months later, read a review which said, the greatest play I've seen in 30 years of being a theatre critic? Well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I didn't see any of it coming. You were compared I'm, to Tennyson, Tennessee Williams and Edward Albee. I mean, you were... You can't engage with that stuff, though. And I learned that quite quickly. You can't, because as soon as you, you're just dangerous... All of that, very dangerous. I think success has so many sort of trenches you've got to avoid. Um, it, I mean, I entered it for a Young Writers Festival and I didn't hear from them for ages. I was like, oh, yeah. start another one. I was like, I really, it, just, it was such a shock to me. I still remember the moment I got a phone call, I was in the bath. And I like, dropped the phone, I was like, oh. And in the bath? It, not in the bath, luckily. Okay. But I remember being, for some reason, being naked and being in the bath getting the phone call felt really weird. <laughs> um, and it got taken out and got, put, got its own sort of proper full-length production, and that was mind-blowing enough. And it still surprises me, the whole thing, the whole shebang, still surprises me. Every day I've got a tiny bit of like, oh, that really happened. Um, and then, I mean, I was insanely lucky. Then I had this sort of racehorse selection of actors just incredible, Matt Smith, Lindsay Duncan, Jeremy, this incredible director. It was like, plays don't take off like that unless a load of amazing things collide, you know? A lot has to be aligned for that kind of thing to happen. You know, the timing was perfect with just it being a slightly new thing and Dominic being behind it and all of that. You know, Matt and Lindsay, Felicity Jones, I mean, just like ridiculously good actors who are now like film stars. Um, Lindsay, who sort of hadn't done a play in years. And this, the whole thing just was just this wonderful sort of production. You know, it was the production that made it happen. And I do remember when it was, there was a reading, because you have that reading where everyone comes in, all the lighting and sound and designers, and I just sort of didn't know what was going on because I'd never done it. And I remember everyone crying after the reading. And I just, every time anyone would cry, I'd be like, I feel really bad, but also really happy. <laughs> It's a weird feeling. It's fun affecting people. Do you remember the morning after it opened, reading the reviews? Well, the first review wasn't very good. Yeah, the very, very first review was this kind of average. And I remember Jeremy like, oh, oh well. But we didn't think it was... I don't know. It was just... It was a huge surprise. And it was... Yeah, it was, it was amazing. But I, the main thing I remember from that time was thinking oh, shit, I really like doing this. I've got to make sure I keep doing this. This was fun. Because I'd, like, left university, you know, I'd deferred the year to rehearse, and it was, it was, my life suddenly went like that. And I remember thinking, no, this is, this fits. Can you tell us roughly what it was about, that face? That face. It was about a, um, a family and a son who lived with his mother 
he was sort of 18 and he'd left school to look after her and they sort of drew in bed together and she was quite kind of camp and <laughs> smoked loads of folks and um, drank a lot. And they had a kind of strange semi-incestuous relationship. And then the daughter comes home from boarding school and confronts them and says, look, dad's flying over from Hong Kong. And you realise that she'd been kicked out of boarding school because she'd nicked her mum's Valium and drugged a girl. And there'd been an accident. It's, it sounds bleak, but it was funny. <laughs> it was blackly funny, I think, I hope. Um, and then the father comes back and he realises that he's left them in this mess and it all kind of colour mates with the boy pissing himself with his mum's nightgown on the bed, standing. God, I haven't thought about that in ages. Um, but yeah, so it was a sort of family, family thing. Quite sort of intense, small... It was a little kitchen sink thing, but I suppose it was marble sink, I guess. The marble sink. I spoke to... Well, I emailed uh, Lindsay Duncan, who was in it. Oh, she's a great friend. Of yours? Yeah. Yeah. I realise that now. Uh, but <laughs> I asked... I said that we were chatting today, and I asked her if there was anything particular that I should ask you about. And I just love what she said. She said... The thing about Polly is that she doesn't just write down what's happened. She is an actual writer in her very bones. I got asked so often during that face if the play was based on Polly's family. That completely fails to recognise the alchemy that occurs when life experience, imagination and writing talent all come together. She is astonishing. That's nice. It was lovely. Um, because... Fire a drink. <laughs> <laughs> knowing that you had a marble sink in your house, knowing that you had a difficult relationship with your mum, mm. knowing you had a very um, impressive dad and a sibling and it was difficult at home and then this play, I suppose you must have been asked so endlessly to the extent to which it was based on you, but that isn't what it was about, was it? Well, I mean, it's, it certainly wasn't based on me. I mean, if it was, I'd, well, I'd have to be a boy. I'd have had to left school. I mean, you know, every artist to an extent, of course, draws on their own experience. Of course you do. It's what frames, you know, whether it be what you've seen or what's happened to you, it's, it's your experience, it's what you've got. You're not sort of injected with stuff pre-birth. So I find that question just sort of, it's, you know, obviously you'll draw on some stuff, but you are making fiction. My, my plays are fiction. Um, no quarter. Mm. I'm going to glease over Tusk Tusk because I didn't see it. Did anyone here see it? Oh, Ooh. put me to shame. Did you like awesome. it? Awesome, no one saw that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can ask, anyway, because we, we will do questions if anybody's got any questions for Polly. I will stop in about ten minutes and then the floor is yours. Um, but moving on to No Quarter, um, it had much more mixed reviews. Now, how did that feel? Was that a shock? I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> so it was an hour and 50 minutes. There were a lot of drugs in it. There was, you know, it was a kind of... It was a character play. I wrote a play about a boy who I'd made up. It was played by Tom Sturridge. It was played by Tom, um, who was difficult to love. He was difficult to like. He was an incredibly fucked up character. And I knew it was going to polarise. And what was it? Well, I mean, the sort of the typical thing happened, like it does with a play like that, where the younger papers loved it and the older didn't it was it was quite a general it was kind of a generational thing like evening standard and then sort of even standard would like it telegraph and hate it it was it was one of those and that does i mean you just you can't give too much of a toss you just can't i mean if unless you're in a commercial theater and 
you know, the reviews are important because the show might close if you're not, and you know, these are not in, these aren't commercial houses, then, you know, who cares? The, th the thing is, you say you can't give a toss and who cares? And I completely get you that. You have to be like that. This is the thing, you have to be. Because if you don't... I've thought about it long and hard, particularly with this show, because this has had pretty much reviews. Some have been great, some have been bad. But you, you just... You, and I've talked to older writer mentors and things like that. You just have to not give a shit. It'll, it'll, it'll kill you. You can't. You, you know in your heart of hearts whether it's good. You know. You made the thing. I mean, and you've just got to try and block it out because you're not writing for that specific brand of person either. It's, I don't know, the more I think about it, the more important I think it is. To, otherwise, you'll get swayed from... But it, the, the good probably are more dangerous than the bad, actually. Because of what they do yeah, to your you expectation of yourself. Yeah, you can't... And if you believe one, you have to believe the other. I think the more, older I get, the more I write, the more I realise that actually your skills get better as a writer, but the process gets harder because there's more bullshit to block out and to protect yourself from. Because you have to make this stuff in quite a vacuum. It's quite fragile, if that makes sense. And stuff like good reviews and bad yeah. reviews and other people's opinions comes into your vacuum you have and to affects be, the writing. You've got to be truthful to yourself. You've got to know. You've got to stay your course. Because, yeah, it's exposing, isn't it? You said, you said something the other day I thought was, was on the money where you said, you said the cult of celebrity and the obsession with the person behind a thing can mm. obscure the work. Yeah, definitely. I think so. We live in a very narcissistic time, you know, Twitter. Yeah. I think our concentration spans are getting shorter because of all of that. I think it's just got to try and avoid it. But then, you know, I've got a Daily Mail website. I mean... Guilty pleasure, isn't it? <laughs> no judgment. It's just, it's just sort of being aware that it's like cheap food. You know it's not good for you. You feel a bit crap about yourself afterwards, but you do it. I don't know. I just think... You know, I, I want a long career. And I want, you know, try and take this stuff seriously. I've been so lucky. And I think I've got to be careful about what I take in actually. And like I've made myself, what, another place of mine has been pushed back because of scheduling, which has been brilliant and really making myself this summer just read and see and take in. Because I think the danger of starting young, you've got to keep teaching yourself and keep inquiring and feeding yourself. But you can't be, too much can't be coming out. So I'm just like thinking out loud now. Sort of in a room of people, it's rude. I love that and it makes total sense because otherwise you'll never get the new life experiences yeah. that are going to inform the later plays. I mean, It'll mean you get sort of stuck at yeah. you at 19 and all you'll be able to write about is what happened to you as a child and fame. Boring, exactly. And you don't want to write about, you know, your life as a writer. I don't know, but I found I've just I've become much more politically interested and aware lately. Probably a little later than I should have done just as a human. But, mm, yeah. And this play, Hotel, which we're not going to discuss in too much detail, is such a departure for mm. you in that the first three plays were very domestic. Mm. And Set in England. Yeah, marble sinks. And they were, they were looking at relationships between a family. And Hotel, although there's a family at the centre of it, is a much, it's got a bigger canvas, isn't it? Yes, definitely. What was going on there? I just had been going on holiday 
every year since I'd been about 14 to St Lucia, it's beautiful islands in the Caribbean, you know, super lucky to go. And suddenly at about 25, I mean, again, very late for this to dawn on me, I suddenly was like, holy shit. You know, there's some, they hate us. You know, this is, this is a stage set. This hotel, it's not real. This is actually quite a dangerous place. And there's something that I found, I suddenly really noticed as well, the kind of vulnerability of people on holiday. Like big babies, like waddling around in pants, basically, eating. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's sort of building sandcastles. I mean, it's hilarious. It's like, it's, I don't know. It, it suddenly, it just, my brain just went, bing, that's the situation. It's, it's a very dramatic situation. The tension between... The tension. I think luxury hotels in poor places, particularly ex-colonies, are actually, when you step back from it, completely absurd and quite scary. You know the moment when you just sort of... Again, no judgment, I'm sure I will go again. But something suddenly occurred to me, something felt really strange about it, that you can have a cocktail in a hot tub, basically in an ex-colony, you know, on an island that may or may not have had a concentration camp run by your country, a country that's rich because of its previous empire. I don't know, there's just something very uneasy about that, actually, and you just, I just didn't realise it. I was too sort of swaddled in my Egyptian cotton. I was having a great time, and suddenly was like, oh, my God, these people... Because I've been going so long, I've been... <laughs> hanging out a lot with like the bar people and stuff and you're like you know lovely people but it's just such a glaring inequality isn't it and you just sort of sleepwalk through it but actually everyone serving you is black and poor and everyone there is white and rich and beyond this beautiful place is a shanty town and it's just and it's like when a light comes on you're just like ah this is absurd and then the light you know you have another mojito the light goes off but something about that, suddenly I was like, there's a play there. And then I wrote the play. Is there only a play there? I mean, you say you're sure you'll go again and no judgment, but you've spent a year living with this play, this idea, this, mm. you've been politicised. Yeah. You're incredibly articulate about it in the play, as you will see, those of you seeing it tonight. And you really explore that that political point. Do you mm. really think you can then have another mojito and go back to St Lucia next year? I think... Are you that shallow? <laughs> Maybe. I think I'm... I, I'm not... I think it's human. You know, we, we say yes to so many... so much institutionalised slavery, really, every day, and the clothes we wear, the flowers we buy... I mean, we're constantly all having another mojito, actually, in our daily life. Stuff made in China. That, so I think it's a bigger thing. I don't know. I mean, I know that I went to see Book of Mormon, and I really struggled with that, having worked on this. Did you? Yeah, in I didn't what like way? it. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was clever. I, did, I just didn't like it. And I, I, you know, everyone told me it was the best thing in the world, and I just was like, this is not... I've got maggots in my scrotum. It's like, ugh, I don't know. The, it wasn't the right uneasiness. 
I don't think it was intelligent. I think there's, there was something there, but... And I think that, I think potentially, had I seen that before this, maybe it would be different. I don't know. I think, I think that sort of having another mojito thing is very interesting in life, isn't it? It is, and I can imagine a play by you on the subject as well. Mm. Because I think... Mojito Nights. <laughs> maybe that'll be the second in the next trilogy. <laughs> this is the first. Is this the beginning of a trilogy? I think it's maybe in conversation a bit more with the films I'm doing. Because I, I did a weird little short, just kind of for fun, that was kind of, kind of sort of, it was in a, in a motel and had kind of campy thriller elements, which Lindsay was in as the villain. Um, and I'm writing a horror film with Nicholas van den Reffen, the guy did Drive. So actually, I've been working with him, and I don't know anything about horror or thrillers at all. And, he showed me a sort of huge amount. I sort of learnt a lot quite quickly about it. I think I've become interested in sort of thriller as a genre. I'm sort of looking at it, I don't know. But I think my play after this will probably have a scary element. It's just fun, it's fun, you know. I like people jumping, it's great. It's fun, but it's political. Yeah. I think the new one's got a political element to it as well, but it's set here. In the UK? Mm. Nice. Uh, I have many more questions, but I feel I need to be egalitarian. Ladies and gentlemen, um, Polly Stenham. Oh. 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 Oh.